Hello and welcome to PW KidsCast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Harriet Reuter Hapgood, who's making her debut this year with The Square Root of Summer, a young adult novel. It's being published in May by Roaring Brick Press, which is sponsoring this podcast. The Square Root of Summer is the story of 17-year-old Gotti Oppenheimer, who has a lot on her plate. Her beloved grandfather, Gray, died less than a year ago. She had a secret affair with one of her brother's bandmates, who she hasn't seen or spoken to in months. And her one-time best friend, Thomas, has just moved back into town and into her grandfather's old bedroom. These problems and others become increasingly entwined and complicated when Gotti begins to suspect that she's running afoul of space-time itself, being sucked into past memories and even shunting into different parallel timelines. Harriet, thanks for speaking with me, and uh, congratulations on your first book. Well, thank you very much. Or at least first books for teens, I should say. But I understand you've been working on this novel for several years. Uh, How are you feeling with the pub date now finally kind of fast approaching? It's a little bit surreal, to be honest, because yeah, even just hearing you sort of read the description of what happens in the book, it's kind of like, huh, that is what happens. That's been my life and in my head for about five years now. So it's very, very odd to have it out in the world and have other people know that it's happening. Sure. Is fiction writing something that has long been, uh, I guess, part of your plan? Um. I guess yes and no. Certainly when I was a teenager, I wanted to write and I did write a sort of terrible first draft of a novel when I was 18, never to see the light of day. And then I got distracted by life and work and became a journalist and sort of, it was only a few years ago when I started this book that it sort of came back to me that that was what I had wanted to do. And, you know, as far as the story itself, are are, are quantum physics and time travel and theoretical topics like that, are those things that have long interested you or are they something you had been more exploring just more recently through your work on this book? It was specifically for this book. So the book is really inspired by my grandmother's death. And shortly before she had a stroke, then she and I had a conversation weirdly about quantum physics. She was a French teacher. She's not a quantum physicist. I'm certainly not. I've got a fashion journalism background. Um, Writing the book initially, when I thought about Gotti as a character, I wanted to write someone who was into maths and science. And that conversation with my grandmother came back to me. And it was a good intro for exploring grief personally, just to be able to think about something personal and kind of use that as an intro. And then the minute I started researching it, it became sort of took on a life of its own. Hmm. Well, it's certainly in this book, the presence of Gray, Gotti's uh, grandfather, looms very large uh, in her life, and I think in the lives of a lot of other characters as well. Was that similarly the case with your grandmother in terms of the sort of effect on the family and the presence? Yeah, and um, she was really a matriarch of the family, and we're a very close family. We used to go big family Christmases together, and it really made a difference after her death to sort of see how people do fall apart, and everyone deals with grief differently and perhaps stops talking to each other or communicating and connecting in the same way and that someone's death can sort of cause a hole that's much larger than them it sort of has repercussions and Gotti's world is sort of at least as I'm interpreting it I guess sort of this hippie meets metal rocker meets quiet seaside (laughs) village uh existence is that um I don't know, a life or a, sort of a confluence of uh, identities that you're familiar with, comfortable with, also drawing from personal things there? Yeah, it's a combination. It's sort of that classic middle-class bohemian English family, um, slightly intellectual and into poetry and music and things and a bit disorganized and chaotic. But it's partly personal experience. It's partly that description of those families is 
I guess, a kind of classic English literature trope from things like I Capture the Castle mm. and stories like that. It feels very familiar, both personally and from literature. And Gadi herself uh, is, is somewhat slow to maybe fully accept what is going on around her, you know, both the realistic things and the sort of almost uh, mm-hmm. the things she can't understand, you know, even halfway into the book. Uh, she's still sort of, I think, at times weighing the possibility that that these changes she's sensing and these things she's seeing are maybe all in her head and the product of grief. Was that uncertainty and skepticism something that you considered uh, important to her character? I guess. I mean, some of that came from my editors sort of pointing out that maybe you would keep questioning that you don't necessarily immediately accept something that's happening to you. And I think it's a good metaphor for grief is that you don't kind of process it and move on to the next stage and level up to, okay, now I'm through that stage. I'm okay now. You constantly sort of go back and forth and question things. Um, But even while writing, part of that is just me writing and thinking, can I get away with wormholes? Or it's sort of, you can sort of see the author creeping in there and questioning herself. (laughs) Well, you know, some of the the ideas brought up in the book and some of the language uh, that you use, uh, you know, the idea that simplicity leads to complexity and complexity to chaos, or even just the idea of worlds colliding, uh, some of those make just as much sense in a non-scientific context mm-hmm. as in a scientific or theoretical one. Was that something that was often bouncing around your head as you were working on the book? Yeah, I think that's what's so interesting about quantum physics is that you don't necessarily have to have a mathematical background and understand the equations that might describe something. A lot of it is quite poetic and it's about ways of describing the universe like maths is the language but physics and these grand theories of space and time and how it all works that's more the literature side of science so uh, did you know from the start once you did sort of dive into working on this book that you wanted to sort of have it be a young adult book was that always at the forefront of your mind Yes, absolutely. Like it didn't occur to me to write any other story. I read a lot of YA and I watch a lot of teen television and I've always been interested in those kind of really coming of age stories that take place at a time when everything's just so intense and you're going through a lot of first time experiences and you've not got a lot of control over your own life. You've got teachers, you've got school, you've got parents just locking you down. Um, So yeah, it was always going to be a YA novel. And is it right that you've been sort of drawn to similar stuff in, in your own schooling and studying, uh, I guess, teen entertainment, whether in books or film and TV? Yeah. So in my undergraduate degree, then for my f- dissertation, then I did kind of manage to incorporate Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Dawson's Creek in the <laughs> literature degree. And then when I did my master's in fashion journalism, everyone did a final project to incorporate writing and design and sub-editing and all of the skills we'd learned. And you could do either a fashion magazine or you could do a book. And I sat down and did an encyclopedia of every 90s teen television show that I'd ever watched. Hmm. Uh, do you feel like uh, both your schooling, but also maybe your work as in the journalism world have uh, been helpful influences uh, or factors in your writing uh, when it comes to doing fiction? Absolutely. I think the kind of teen television interest is subconsciously played into things of, you know, I've written a story that's set in a small town. It's got a small group of very overtly quirky characters, which I think is familiar to anyone who's watched a teen TV show. But certainly journalism really plays into writing just in terms of discipline and as a journalist, you you can't send a blank page to print, so there's no such thing as writer's block. <laughs> you can't go to your boss and just be like, you know, I, the muse didn't strike me today because, you know, you'll get fired. So in terms of just 
getting first drafts done, revising stuff. It's a real, it's a good learning ground, really. Mm -hmm. Now, I believe it's been just about a year since uh, the book was actually sold. Um, What has that year been like? Uh, You were working with uh, Connie Sue at Roaring Brook, is that right? That's right. It's been, yeah, it's been a year. We sent the book out on submission towards the end of January last year, January 27th. Um, We sold in the middle of February last year. And very shortly after that, I was told it would be published this May and I needed to get my edits done in a couple of months. Pretty much nonstop since then, no time to breathe. You go from no one's read the book but you and your agent to everyone in the publishing industry seemingly has read the book. And you very quickly, it's a very steep learning curve where you do structural edits for the first time. And then I moved on to copy edits and then line edits and then you're typeset manuscript and suddenly someone's showing your cover in the US and then you see your UK cover and there's publicity and I've already done a pre-pub book tour where I went to Denver, Chicago, San Francisco and Seattle and I'd never visited any of those cities before or I'd never done a school visit, I'd never done a live reading of my work, I'd never done an interview before. I'd done them from the journalist side but not being a subject and suddenly in the space of a year it's kind of similar to a YA coming of age or Gotti stories. You go through a lot of first times and I've had a year where it's just like, yeah, classic YA learning curve. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, speaking of travel, is it right that you'll be actually coming back to the States uh, later this yes. spring? Yeah, I'm going to do the Fierce Reads tour with Marie Ratoski and Cecilia Ahern, and we're going to be picking up different writers in different cities. And I'm going to get to do Yule West Festival in Santa Monica, and then I finish up on the other side of the country doing Rochester Teen Book Festival. So I think I'm there for about three weeks in total. And, you know, again, going back to the sort of fast pace of, of this past year, and I, it sounded like a fairly, maybe a crunched period to get those edits done. Were there a lot of changes made to the book at that stage in the game? Or do you feel like it was a fairly quick editing process in terms of, you know, things were in, in good shape and it wasn't a dramatic rethinking of anything at that point? Yeah, there was no dramatic rethink, like everything that you read in the book in terms of the time travel and everything is there. It was more a deepening of what was already there. So structurally, things didn't really change. It's the same characters. It's the same order of events um i have a real tendency to underwrite my first drafts are very very short and it's sort of stick figures moving around in a blank space and even the book version that sold still had a little of that there was not just everything got kind of intensified and deepened and saturated a little more i think in edits uh, you know, speaking of stick figures, uh, there are a few little diagrams and charts that pop up in the book, uh, Mobius strips and images of black holes and things like that. Was that something uh, you contributed? Was that your idea? It was Connie's idea, but I'd always visualized the book like that, weirdly enough. Um, and I'd always, while writing it, in order to explain things to myself, and I'm quite visual, I would sort of sketch out little diagrams so it would make sense to me. And then I would write down what I'd done in the diagram you know, as Gotti would be describing it. The first time I met my agent, I sat and drew a little diagram of a time loop and a wormhole on a napkin for her. But then Connie suggested it and an illustrator emailed me just a few questions and I sent her all of my diagrams and strange little things I'd found on Google image search and that kind of thing. And we talked back and forth about how to do it and she came up with some really cute drawings. Well, it sounds like those illustrations were helpful uh, both for you as you were writing, but probably also maybe a little helpful for for readers who are going to be encountering some of these ideas for the uh, first time. 
Right. So we have a whole selection of illustrations right at the beginning. So it's kind of a crash course in the real basic knowledge that you might need to be able to understand the book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, along those lines, uh, as you were sort of diving into to quantum physics and some of these topics, were there any particular theories or ideas that really just either stuck out to you or resonated with you in a big way that you felt like, oh, this is a really fascinating thing and to apply it to, to Gaudi's story felt like something you really wanted to do? One that's mentioned right in the beginning about particles, about how they can move around and interrupt their own past and interfere with it, and they can be in two places at once, and a particle can get from point A to point B without traveling along a line. It just pops up and appears, and taking that really helped in terms of understanding that I didn't necessarily need to have Gotti follow a linear path or really explain exactly what was going on. So you can't explain grief and you can't necessarily, I'm not that interested in books that explain everything right down to the last detail. So I like that idea that she could go through this journey and have this experience and I could write this book, but you didn't, you could sort of leave these weird questions of the universe open. Well, I hate to ask this because your book isn't yet out, but I am curious, are you already working on future books? Is that something already well underway? Hmm. It's underway. It's not necessarily going particularly well. Um, I am working on something. I'm in discussion with Connie and my UK editor about it. And I'm in the sort of hateful first and second draft section where I'm trying to rework it and figure out exactly what the book is. Very good. Well, in the meantime, congratulations again on this book. And uh, thank you again for speaking with me. It was fun. Once again, I've been speaking with Harriet Reuter Hapgood, whose first novel is The Square Root of Summer out in May from Roaring Brook. Thank you for listening to PW Kids Cast. <laughs>